Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Process. My guest today is a serial entrepreneur, tech expert, consultant, author, blogger, and TEDx speaker. He started his first company, JB Media Force, at the age of 17 and immediately began picking up clients. He established an offshore team to handle the projects while he took care of the sales here in the US. He sold that company and quickly became, began working on another project. And in February, 2012, he launched StatFuse along with his partner, which they sold in 2017 to Lend.edu. Now he's working on launching a couple other online businesses. In addition to this, he has a goal of helping others to find their purpose in life and achieving massive success. Please help me welcome Jeet Banerjee to the show. How's it going, man? I'm great. Thanks so much for the warm welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. So I had, a, you know, I heard that you know you've been in business even before the age of 17, working with your dad and stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. What was that like? You know, how old you were when you first started working, and what skills that you learned that helped you get to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I really grew up in like a very traditional like household and like growing up, I was like that troublemaker getting kicked out of school, bad grades, find himself in trouble. So that didn't fly well with my parents who were like traditional trying to raise like a straight A student. So I remember when I turned 15, my dad kind of just walked into my room one day and he was like, yo, you need to get your life together. You need to go get a job. So the first thing I kind of did was I started working like random jobs, like anything I could find and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, eventually I worked a little bit for my dad, um, other family members, stuff like that. And for me, I, I found two things out from that one that I absolutely hated working a job. And then the second thing that I really found out was that, you know, I, I found like a passion and a purpose where I was like, man, I really love tech. I really love the internet and I want to do something there. I just don't want to be doing it for someone else. So those are some pretty valuable lessons because I learned, you know, like what it really meant to earn a dollar, like the hard way, what real hard work was like, a lot of skills that people don't necessarily learn until after they graduate from college. And I was super blessed to be able to learn that at 15. So when it came around like 17 and it was time for me to apply to college and all that stuff, I kind of knew, man, hey, I want to start my own business. I want to become an entrepreneur. So I kind of went more that route. Uh, and that's kind of, I was fortunate to do that earlier because of me getting an early start in the working world. Nice. Now with your first company, was it just you? Did you have partners? And did you jump right into e-commerce? How did that, how did that all come around? Yeah, absolutely. So no, no, had no partners, nothing like that. Pretty much the only thing that I kind of figured out from, you know, working the different jobs and stuff like that was that web design. This was like maybe 2009, 10, around that area. So web design was really, really hot back then. And so I kind of saw this like big gap in the market where if you were overseas, Philippines, India, Pakistan, people were getting websites done there for like a couple hundred bucks. And then you had these companies like down the street, like in Irvine and stuff that were like, man, 10 grand, 20 grand. And I was like, hold on a minute. They're all pushing out the same stuff. It's just this massive price gap. And I started to learn the market. And essentially, like my first business was really more like drop servicing, uh, even though I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. And so I was just kind of middlemanning between businesses and freelancers until I was able to put my own offshore team together and helping them get their websites and stuff up and running. So yeah, I didn't get into e-commerce till much, much later, till probably about like 2017 once I sold my uh, company staff fees. Nice. I've had some positive and negative uh, experiences working with like VAs from, you know, Philippines, India, stuff like that. What are some, what are some you know, tips or strategies that you have for finding and, vet and vetting a good offshore or virtual assistant um, you know, to bring onto your team? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, the best thing that worked for me was hiring fast, but firing even faster, right? It's just like, you know, the culture, you know, what you want within your company. And, you know, like if on day one, we had someone show up 15 minutes late, 
it's like, come on, it's the first freaking day. Like, what is the likelihood that they're going to have other issues come up over time? So I just really kept a short leash. And that's kind of my rule nowadays too, is just like, if you fit the culture and I see you being in here long-term, then, you know, we can tell that early on. And if we can't, the biggest thing I learned over time is you can't change people to be the employer, the team member you want them to be. They either fit the mold or they don't. So you just got to move fast. Nice. And then when you're, so when you're looking to hire somebody, is it, do you test out the skill or is it more the personality? Like you said, more if they fit in with the culture, more about the work ethic. Cause they, if they have the skill, they have it kind of thing. Or what do you, what do you look for? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I just look for people that show up. Like that's my biggest thing. If you can just show up, I can do all the rest, right? Like if you don't, if you're lacking a skill, we can work on it. We can hone that skill. If you know, you need to learn something or you're having trouble grasping a concept, all that stuff is fixable. Um, I, I like to say like the best ability. And I think they say this in sports too. The best ability is availability. So that's all we look for is guys that will just show up, no excuses and just get the job done. Sweet. Do you have any like resources that you, or any sites or uh, places people can go to find the highest quality or best people or just all the just normal ones or any of them will do? Or do you have a go-to you know, place? Yeah, absolutely. Like I love Upwork. Upwork is pretty solid. And usually I like to start working with people as a freelancer. Cause it's like, if people can keep a deadline as a freelancer, then it's like, okay, cool. They might have, they might be able to show up every day and, you know, be a good employee. So we usually love to transition freelancers into employees. And that way, you know, you're not in a long-term contract and it's kind of like you're dating them before you get married. Nice. Yeah. I like, I like the term that you use drop servicing. I haven't heard it before, but it it's definitely fitting. Um, how did you go from that to an e-commerce model? How did you, how did you jump in or how did you learn the e-commerce, uh, you know, industry? Yeah, absolutely. So being, um, while running my drop servicing company, I was essentially getting to learn how to become a digital marketer and a really good one on other people's dollars. Like that's how I love to put it. Cause I was making these websites and right after I made a website, well, the person would be like, well, how do I get traffic? And that wasn't a skill that I really necessarily knew how to do or even knew anything about. So I started learning it myself because I was like, okay, I can get the websites drop service, but the marketing aspect that intrigues me. I'm interested. So I quickly just learned, picked up on social media marketing, learned SEO, uh, learned, you know, uh, PPC ads, all that good stuff. And essentially, you know, I had clients that were like the, the first client I actually got, I was like, Hey, I'll manage everything free you just got to fund the ads and you know let's see what we can do so he was like totally game for it and i was kind of learning on other people's dollar like this and eventually i realized man i can make a lot of money doing this if i do this for myself and like building out my own brands and own products uh rather than doing it for other people because i remember i had a client i was doing like a five thousand a month retainer for and i remember i drove him about like 122 grand in profit in a month and at the end of the month he's like here's your five grand and i'm like man, I can be telling exactly what you're doing because you're doing like some print on demand stuff and I can be marketing it myself. So that was like a wake up call for me. Like, Hey, I need to be in the business of selling my products. Nice. Yeah. That, that's actually a really, really smart way to, uh, to get into media buying and learning, you know, on somebody else's dollar, you know, that's a great trend, great transition. Um, but when it comes to e-commerce, you know, there's a lot of uh, wheels I have to turn to get to the end result. And, uh, I've had, I've dabbled in it myself and, you know, um, finding suppliers, finding manufacturers, make sure the quality is the same as the samples they send you. Like what, you know, how did, how did you overcome those barriers as far as inventory and all that stuff? Or, or did you start with drop shipping? How did, how did you make that transition? Yeah, absolutely. So everything I did from day one till even now is all drop shipping. We love the drop shipping model. I think it's like, I think drop shipping has a very negative stigma from like media and stuff like that. But as a supply chain model, it's fantastic. Like honestly, drop shipping is just a supply chain model. Don't keep inventory in house, make it on demand and ship it out. That's risk free for you. And it usually tends to probably work out better for manufacturers too, because they don't have to worry about inventory, storage space, all that stuff. So yeah, we do drop ship everything. Um, that's kind of how we've done it. When it comes to suppliers and things like that, 
honestly, it's trial and error. And that's why I love the dropship model is like, if I buy from a shitty supplier and now I've got 10,000 units sitting in my warehouse of crappy product, I'm screwed, right? Yeah. And so on demand makes it where manufacturers really have to be on their A game 24 seven because they're as good as their last product that they shipped out. That's kind of like the way I love to look at it. And so we literally, you know, we'll test samples. We'll look at the products. If we're happy with it, we'll start selling to the customers. And then at the end of the day, it's the customer's opinion that matters the most because I might love a product, but if my customers hate it, it means absolutely nothing. So that's kind of the best way that we do it. You know, we'll ship out a couple hundred products, see the customer's reaction. Customers love it. Then we'll continue to pursue a long-term relationship with that supplier. If they don't love it, then we'll be like, okay, let's take a couple steps back. Let's try to find someone else. Or what can we do to refine and improve this product? Things like that. Nice. And do you usually have just like one dropshipper per product or is that too risky? Do you try to have two or three just in case something goes wrong or how do you like make sure that the product's going to be delivered on time or do you just only working with the best dropshippers? Yeah, absolutely. So when we kind of start out, we love to just work with one, especially when we're testing out and all that kind of stuff. And then if we're really hitting products at scale, like for example, I have a couple of brands that'll do like a couple thousand orders a day, then I'll definitely want to mitigate risk and have backup suppliers and maybe split up my, you know, volume to three guys or whatever it is, just in case if one pipeline goes down, I've got backups. Uh, so yeah, that's how we kind of usually structure it out. And then, uh, yeah, that's usually the model that's worked best. Nice. For somebody that's just trying to get into uh, e-commerce, like where can they find, you know, good, you know, reputable drop shippers and products that, that they can sell and know that they're going to be delivered on time. Yeah, absolutely. I think the best place, honestly, still to start is still going to be AliExpress in China because you get accessibility to so many products and the key to success in drop shipping is the product, right? And a lot of people are like, oh, well, I want to make this t-shirt brand. And it's like, okay, cool. You spend six months, you make the t-shirt brand, you design the t-shirts, you do everything. And now what if no one wants to buy it? you've just lost six months of your time. Whereas I can go on AliExpress, I can import a product onto my store and build out a store in two hours. And that's the type of speed that I have. So even till this day, I love to test things on AliExpress and just go fast with China. And then if it's working out and it's looking like a long-term business that I wanna be a part of, then I'll start to diversify, find European suppliers, North American suppliers, and really try to legitimize the whole thing, You know, white label it and all that good stuff. Nice. and. Um... Yeah, you know, so you say you can get these sites built up in like two hours. Is that something that you provide for other people as well? Or is that just all in-house that you do for yourself? And if not, like where could somebody go to find somebody that could implement that, you know, relatively with the same speed? I mean, eight hours would probably be good too, but, you know, two hours is pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've kind of refined that model in-house for kind of like our in-house projects and stuff like that that we do with our team. But when it comes to people that are looking to do this, honestly, Shopify is a great platform. I'm like the biggest advocate of it because you don't need to be a coder to build out a really cool website on Shopify. And I mean, even in my course and training programs, because I do offer some training and courses in e-commerce, I do kind of show people how they can build really high quality websites really, really fast. And I even have like a design, like a theme file that I use that like really just crushes for me that I even give to my students. And it's like, you know, just change colors, change logos, change text, and boom, you'll be ready to rock and roll. So that's how we're able to do it in two hours. So yeah, we're able to empower others to do it in two hours too through our course. What's the name of your course? How can my followers find your course they want to? Yeah, absolutely. So the course is called the Ecom Legacy Brand. So they can go to ecom, E-C-O-M, legacybrand.com and they'll get access to everything there. Nice. And then for like long-term and somebody that eventually wants to create like a real brand, a real company, um, how do you make that transition from testing out the products to, like you said, making it legitimate? Um, would you ever go to manufacturing yourself and having inventory at some point? And if so, like when is that point where it makes sense to do it? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So I think um, personally me, I, I'm not good. I'm not the best at managing people. So I know my strengths and weaknesses. I'm not the best at managing people. And when it comes to like manufacturing and warehouses, I know absolutely nothing. Um, as I'm sure you could probably tell from me building out websites in two hours, I'm super impatient. So if you want me to do something that requires patience, probably not the best man to do it. But for someone that has the skill sets to run it, I think opening or even buying and taking over a manufacturing facility is a great way to grow your business. But if you didn't want to do that and you're someone similar to me and you want to keep costs lean and mean, uh, you can definitely just partner up with manufacturers and suppliers, you know, in other places. It doesn't necessarily need to be China or you can even find ones in China, but you typically want to get off AliExpress. You want to find faster shipping times, better product quality, more product uh, innovation and control. And you essentially want to have your brands on your products, right? And so like whenever we operate our businesses and we're transitioning from AliExpress to like a US supplier, for example, we're trying to give people, because the way I look at it is my biggest competition is always Amazon, right? They're getting better and better and better and they run the e-commerce game. So I always have conversations with my suppliers, like how fast can you ship these items? Can we do it in two days? Can we do it in three business days? Um, what is the product quality going to look like? How are they being shipped? What are the mailers coming in? What is the branding uh, control that I get? So that's kind of the headspace that you want to be in because if you're trying to build any type of long-term brand, you got to look at who are the other big brands in the space, like Fashion Nova, for example, they're a big brand that crushes out. And it's like, what are they doing? What's Amazon doing? What's Walmart doing? So that's kind of what we do uh, before we even dive into building relationships with suppliers, because it's like, we want to set the expectations from day one, like, Hey, check it out. This is what our expectations are. So what can we do to make that happen? Yeah. Now, what if they want to be on Amazon? Can they can they drop ship and use Amazon? And what's the pros and cons of doing that rather than sending, you know, Amazon your inventory and having them fulfill it? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of gray area when it comes to drop shipping on Amazon. Amazon's policies and stuff like that technically don't allow it. So I've never personally tried drop shipping on Amazon. What I've done is I will actually send some inventory there and kind of use them as like a 3PL facility. And for those people that don't know what that is, it's just kind of like a facility that'll handle the storage uh, of your inventory and ship out goods for you and stuff like that on demand. Um, and then when it comes to pros and cons of Amazon, so I have built like Amazon FBA businesses before. Uh, the biggest con to me is lack of control, lack of data control. Uh, every time someone buys on Amazon, Amazon keeps all that information. You get absolutely nothing besides your cut for selling the product. And the biggest difference with Shopify is I get to control all my data of my customers. So their emails, their buying habits, their cell phone numbers. And that is probably one of the most powerful tools in e-commerce because now I can email market them. I can send them new offers through text. I can send promos to their mailing addresses. Uh, I know their buying behavior. If I'm selling a replenishable product, I know when they're probably going to run out. So I can send them in a promotion to get a new one. Uh, it's just all too powerful. And like, I think the biggest, most underrated thing in e-commerce is people always just go for that first sale. Like what's my cost per acquisition? And you know, how do I get that first sale? People sleep on how can you get that second, third, fourth, fifth and lifetime sale from a customer? No, for sure. It seems like there's a huge advantage on the back end um, by doing it that way. But like you were saying on the front end, you're competing with the Amazons, the Fashion Novas, the Walmarts. Um, what are some offers or what are some strategies that you have to be able to compete with them on the front end without like killing your budget? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just finding creative ways to stand out, right? Because when you are talking about Amazon or a Walmart, they're not putting that much effort into marketing, right? And like Amazon to me is a search engine for shoppers. Like I don't ever go on Amazon thinking like, oh, what can I think? Well, I need to find something to buy. Let me think about what to buy. Like that never comes across my mind. Like I'm a two minute shopper on Amazon. Type in my keywords, I find the top rated product, boom, buy, hit my Amazon Prime, I'm out of there. 
The thing with the products that we try to go after is we try to go for people that are more into impulse buys or people that aren't necessarily looking to shop. So we use a lot of Facebook ads, for example. No one's on Facebook saying, besides like maybe like crazy marketers like myself saying like, let me see what ads are gonna pop up today, right? They're trying to talk to their grandparents, see what their friends are up to, et cetera. And boom, we interrupt their day. And the genius in that is that we're coming up with creative marketing that's able to interrupt their day. Same, similar to the way that TV ads sell, things of that nature. And Amazon, Walmart, these guys are not in that game, right? Their game is not to interrupt someone's scroll and show them this one product. They're just like a library. They're like, hey, we got a library of a ton of products. If you want something, you know where to find us, come by us, and we're not going to chase you. So we're kind of more in the game of chasing, enticing, you know, kind of teasing the customers and then closing and getting a sale. So that's how we compete is just honestly better, more creative and thoughtful marketing. Nice. It seems like at least on the SEO side, like Amazon, Walmart, they're buying up pretty much every single possible keyword. Anything you search, you're going to see an Amazon listing. Is there, were you, are you even doing anything with SEO or with like Google AdWords or anything like that? Um, or is it Facebook just too much, you know, too easy that you just primarily stay there? Yeah, I would say like primarily we stay on Facebook. Um, I'm definitely not doing anything SEO organic much uh, on that on that front much anymore. Um, I do do Google PPC and Google shopping campaigns and stuff like that from time to time. Um, I also do like dabbling on other platforms as well outside of Facebook. For example, you know, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube. I think those are, those are very interesting platforms too because they're very similar to Facebook. And it's like, if you understand how Facebook works, then you'll kind of understand those platforms too because those customers, they, the audience might be different, but the purpose is the same. They're coming to do something else and you're trying to interrupt their scroll and how can you do that in a you know very thoughtful way? So that's kind of how we operate. Nice. I, I also know you, you have a course like on branding and stuff like that. And uh, what, what are some things that you would uh, tell a client if they're trying to create their brand? Like what's going to make them stand out? Is it the story? You know, is it look and feel of their website, the colors, logos, um, you know, uh, the culture, like um, give us like a, you know, a quick, uh, if you have like a checklist or something when you're going through your brand, um, to make sure that you're just that you're just not like a me too brand that you can actually be unique and stand out because you know the marketplace nowadays is saturated and very competitive yeah absolutely so i think the biggest thing is about leaving an imprint right and i think like too many people like you mentioned they're too focused on copying their competitors and copying what they're doing and sometimes it's you don't even need to do like 50 things you just need to do one thing and it's all about like what can i do to leave an imprint when a customer sees my ad when a customer comes to my website when a customer receives the item and it can be just something that simple. And I think, you know, that's what's the key is, right? A lot of people wonder like, hey, how did Fashion Nova blow up? Well, the imprint that Fashion Nova really, really left in the fashion industry was they were one of the first stores to utilize every single influencer. Like, I'm not even joking. Every single influencer I've ever seen on Instagram has at some point repped Fashion Nova. And it's like, you could not leave that imprint, uh, get that imprint out of your mind. And it's like, thinking of a creative way to leave an imprint like that is always very, very important. Awesome, man. Well, that was awesome stuff. I think we just got about two hours worth of, you know, implementation right there in 20 minutes. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you being on the show. Um, if there's anything you want to leave my audience with, the floor is yours. Let them know how to find you. If you have any, any other courses that you think will be helpful for them, go ahead and let them know about those as well. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, absolutely. The best way to probably connect with me, engage with me, all that stuff. I'm most active on Instagram and my Instagram handle is at the T-H-E G-E-E-T. J -E -E -T. Uh, Banerjee, B-A-N-E-R-J-E-E. -E -E. You can get access to all the programs I have, courses I have. You know, I drop value bombs from time to time on e-commerce, all that good stuff.